uh, today, which is Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany is the, the time in the church year where we remember the revelation of God in Christ to the Gentiles in the person of the three, or was it three, uh, wise men. And we'll be thinking more about that later on in the service. So we're going to begin with one of the Christmas carols uh, that relates to that story. As with gladness, men of old, and it's number three, two, six. just as the first wise ones sought you 
by the light of the star. So this day let us seek you in our worship, moving in heart and mind towards your living presence by the light of your spirit, in silence and song through word and in prayer. Where we have faltered in following your light, where we've chased the light of other stars or tried to spark a light of our own creation, forgive us, we pray. The abiding presence of the Spirit in all suffering and joy flows to us now with the power to draw us again to wonder, to follow, find ourselves made new in Christ. So in the name of the one who comes bringing the light of God's love to all, we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our come down. Doesn't the room look empty when you take the Christmas tree out and the lights down, doesn't it? I don't like it. What do you miss most when you take down the decorations? What do you miss most, Carl? Christmas tree. You miss the tree. Is that Andy with a hand up? Yes, what do you miss most? The projectiles outside your house. The project, the pro did you say projectiles outside your house? Projective lights outside your house? Yeah, I miss those too. Yes, yes, yes. Ellie? You missed the Christmas lights, Ellie. You and me are the same. We both missed the Christmas lights. And who have we got behind there? We've got Lucy. What do you miss? You missed the decorations. Yeah, I, we all miss those things when they go. And I miss the lights, like you, Lucy, um, Ellie. I particularly miss the Christmas lights. We've got the ones up outside the house, but just the ones in the lounge on the Christmas tree and with some of the mantelpiece as well. And I just love sitting in the lounge with those lights on and all of the lights down. Oh, I miss it. I do miss it. But there we are. Why do we put up lights anyway? Why do you think we put up lights at Christmas time? Any thoughts? Why do we put them up? What do you think, Ellie? To make your house pretty. That's definitely a big part of it. Yes, Andy. To I miss that. Don't I say that? To bring joy to other people who come into your home. Yeah, that's a really good uh, comment and suggestion. That's right. What does, the, what does the light do? It kind of cheers us up and it makes it beautiful. Sam, what did you think? Is there something you wanted to say? If you think it's something you can tell Dad and he can shout at me, right? <laughs> Ellie, something else? It, yes, very good. It could be like a star. And some people have a star at the top of the Christmas tree, don't they? So all of these reasons are good reasons. Light is beautiful, it pushes back the darkness, 
And in today's story of the three wise men, light does something else. What does the light do that helps the three wise men in the story? Do you know, Carl? It represents the star. It represents the star, though. Yeah, so there's, there's a star in the sky in this story. But what does the star do? Do you remember, Ellie? It's, yeah, the, the star guides the three wise men to where? Where does it lead them to? And the stable in Bethlehem. Well done. That's right. So the light in the sky leads the three wise men, guides them to the stable where the light of the world, where Jesus himself has been born. So I was thinking a wee bit about this business about light guiding us, and it reminded me of a wee story to do with our dog. What's our dog called? Do you know our dog's name? Ollie. He's called Ollie. So Ollie's a Labradoodle and we've had Ollie for about two years. And uh, he's a great boy. We love him to bits. But when we've, we got, so we got him almost exactly like just over two years ago. And uh, we were getting used, we'd not had a dog before, so getting used to dogs. And one of the things you have to do with a dog, you probably know, is take them out at night. Just so they don't have any wee accidents during the night. But of course, you're taking them out into the dark. And all he was fine if we take him out around the house where there was a wee bit of light. But you see, if you took him down further past the Persaic Hall and out onto this road where it's pitch black, all he would just sit down and he would say, nah, sorry, I'm not going any further. I'm scared. I don't want to go any further. You're just going to have to turn around. So we had to find a way around this. And we did. With this. Anybody got an idea what might be in this little case? A light. A light, correct, Amundo, correct. Let's open up. This is the little case. And this isn't just any light, this is a very special light. Because you know what you can do with this light? You can put it in your head. Like that. Here we go. Isn't that good? And it leaves your hands free, which is very important because you've got the lead in one hand and then sometimes you might have to pick up the unmentionables <laughs> with the other hand or, or you know, so you have, so yeah, it's good to have your hands free, but the best bit is, you can tilt it down like that, so it's not blinding the congregation of healthy church. So, Ollie, when he's walking with me or with Rona, he sees this bit of light and he goes, well, it's okay there. I'll go to that bit, but as he keeps walking and as I keep walking, the bit of light keeps moving. So this is the way that we get Ollie to walk with us at night time. Because he looks and he sees the light and thinks, well that's alright, I can go there. And as we move, the light moves with us. And I think that is actually, in some ways, a very good illustration of what God does for us in Jesus. Ollie can't see the destination, he can't see where we're going right at the end. But you can see enough to walk by. And I think that Jesus, the light of the world, when he came into our lives and is with us, and we allow him to be a part of our lives, he will always give us enough light for the next step. We maybe don't see what the final destination is, but we do see enough for the next step, and we know that he goes with us. And that light in our lives helps us. It guides us. It gives us confidence. It allows us to move forwards. And that's a big part of what Jesus the light of the world does for you and for me if we choose to follow him and make him a part of our lives. Boys and girls, you have listened very well. Now this is a Sunday school morning, so if you guys want to head off down the corridor to your different activities, we will see you after the service. God bless. Have a good fun.
But thank you to the leaders who are helping today. So we're going to have our reading now. I forget who's doing reading today. It's Doreen. Thanks, Doreen. Up you come. Good morning. The reading today is from Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed this, his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. <clears throat> On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Amen. That story. Um, our next hymn again continues with the theme of the wise men. It's number 328. It's called Wise Men. They came to look for wisdom.
Let's pray together now. Make among us your Bethlehem. Lord, these words mean, may you find in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds, a place where you can be born, a place where you can be honoured, treasured, cradled, appreciated, worshipped. Father, this is the reason for the church. You call us together as a group, but you also call each individual heart and mind here to make its own response of faith to you. And this is why we gather. So Lord, speak to our hearts and minds today and help us in this wonderful and yet sometimes complicated business of living. May you be the light guiding us on our way through Christ. In the Gospels, it's often not the most natural candidates who recognize and who rejoice in God's presence in Christ. It's not the influential, the powerful, or even the religious who pick up the signs. It's the outsiders, the outcasts and the strangers who discern and who follow the signs of Christ's coming, including the star. And this morning's reading is entirely consistent with that principle. In the exquisite gardens of his Roman palace, the Emperor Augustus Caesar took the air, unaware of and unconcerned by the shifting patterns of stars in the Palestinian sky. Augustus was focused more on earthly constellations and conjunctions, military strategy, political guile, ruthless ambition. The stars that he followed led him to defeat Mark Antony and Cleopatra, making him the unrivaled lord of an impressive empire until he himself became something of a star, the stardom of Pax Augusta, they called it, the peace of Augustus. Like a son of the gods, and that's what they called him, he brought unparalleled security and stability to the ancient world. He had everything he was looking for. Sitting on his throne in Jerusalem, Herod the Great wasn't particularly bothered by signs in the heavens either. Not at first, anyway. Since his youth, he had followed other stars and those crossing the night sky. The Roman Senate had granted him the title King of Judea, a position secured for him by Mark Antony, and a position that he almost lost when at the Battle of Actium he backed Mark Antony over the winning legions of Augustus. But with quick thinking, Herod gambled on going to see Caesar in person immediately and promising absolute loyalty to Augustus. And that kept him his head and the shaky paper crown that sat upon it. 
in securing his place, Herod the Great had found what he was looking for, and he held his power to him tightly, with paranoid hands. Like all dictators, his so-called greatness owed everything to the kind of brutality that stops at nothing to stay at the head of the pack. But as king, Herod had all that he was looking for, following the star of borrowed power from Rome. It wasn't until he was an old man in painful retreat against ages advancing decay that the thought of an unknown rival prizing out of his hands all that the years cunning and butchery had brought him frightened Herod the Great. He was fearful at this news that the wise men brought. But not an overly religious man, he calls in those schooled in the old stories about a new kind of ruler arising within Israel to be crowned king. And sure enough, the holy men were able to find the right book and the right passage that foretold where such a person would arise. Bethlehem in the land of Judah, they read for him. You're by no means least of the leading cities of Judah, for from you will come a leader who will guide my people Israel. Now they read it, but they don't actually believe it. It would be ridiculous that a leader of that substance would come from Bethlehem. That would be like someone saying to Rishi Sunak that the genius who holds the key to global economic recovery is presently managing the Bridget Dawn branch of B&Q. It's hardly likely. So they could put their fingers in the passage, but none of them thinks that the words themselves have any prospect of happening, at least in their time. Because Bethlehem was the least of the places of Judah, none of the priests or the teachers of the law that Herod consulted would have considered leaving their homes in Jerusalem to join these strangers in their search. After all, they already had most of what they were looking for within the routines and the duties of the temple or in the pages of their sacred books. The busy life of religion was the star by which they lived. For the great temptation of religious folk is outwardly, even devotedly, to give their lives over to the things of God, but bypassing God himself in the process. We know only too well sometimes that the safest place to hide from God is within the duties and the responsibilities that make up our life within the church. We can hide in them. We can treat them as a substitute for actually pursuing a real relationship with God. So in Matthew's Gospel, it's not the powerful ones like Augustus or the cunning ones like Herod or the religious ones like the priests and the scribes who go looking for signs of God. They've already found what they're looking for under these different stars that they are following. They made for themselves enough of a life not to care whether they see these new signs or not. Or they've convinced themselves that what they already know about God is all that there is to know. And there are no other stars to fall. All of them have stopped looking 
outside of their expectations. All of them, that is, except the nameless, numberless wise men who turn up in a province of the Roman Empire, disturbing Herod and distracting these religious scholars. All we really know about them is that they don't belong to the in-group of God's people. They are not Israelites. And that fits the pattern that we spoke about earlier. It's the outsiders and the strangers and those who don't officially belong, who are often the people who respond to the signs of God's presence in the world. These men were following God's star, no other star, because unlike the others, they knew that they still hadn't found what they were looking for. There was something in the world still to be found. Something that they couldn't make for themselves. Something to see. Something to know. Something to respond to. Something to acknowledge. Something to revere. Something that was worth the effort of getting your backside up onto a camel and trailing to the back end of beyond to find And maybe that's why they're wise. They understand that the mystery of living involves looking for something that we can't fashion for ourselves by affluence, influence, attractiveness, intelligence, or in the worst case, violence. They're wise because they know that this world God's world has more than they can make for themselves. And that's a lesson that we have to learn afresh in each generation. We have to ask ourselves what we're living for. What light is going to guide us on our way? Because there are always plenty of lights to choose from. Prosperity, recreation, Indulgence, consumption, security, education, democracy. These are the stars that fill our world's sky. And these are the stars that we're told can chart the way to everything our hearts desire. But if we settle for these things alone as guides, we'll be in danger of missing the more subtle signs of God's wonderful, enduring presence in the world. On a winter's night, the Pleiades are beautiful, but you won't see them as long as you're giving all of your focus to the more obvious constellations like Orion or the Plough. You'll miss them because you need to look for them. The wise men spot what others don't see or don't care to see. A sign heralding the birth of a new king in Israel. And naturally, they head for Jerusalem because it's the big city. And where else would you look for a new king but in a palace, in the capital? But they get short shrift when they get there. No, they're told dismissively. If these old words have any truth in them, they'll be born in the country, not the city. <clears throat> Try looking in Bethlehem if you can manage to find it. And so with no one else accompanying them, and Herod with a smile that never reached his eyes, asking them to return and let him know when they find the child, 
they go on following the star. And at the end of their journey, they find what? Well, you might wonder, because on the surface, it's really not terribly impressive. When they arrive at this village, it's a ragtag collection of caves and shacks without any real road to speak of. There's a peasant girl and her carpenter husband with a bundle of kicking legs, jerking arms and speechless gurgling between them. And this is the end of their search. And in the common currency of what passes for power or celebrity or importance, or at the very least what has the potential to grow into something resembling authority by this world's standards, in those terms they didn't find what they came for. And yet the remarkable thing is, they don't look at this woman and her child and move on, thinking it absurd that this baby could ever amount to anything, let alone achieve any significance in the world's eyes. No, instead they get down off their camels and with great joy they pass the baby around between them and they bow down in honour and worship on the muddy floor and offer gifts in genuine awe and reverence. And isn't that amazing? That these outsiders gather round the peasant child and recognise joyfully that this child is so much more than a peasant child. And maybe that's why they were called wise. Not just because they know that they haven't yet found what they're looking for, but also because they recognise God's presence in the strangest of places. They understand that the holy inhabits even the most ordinary places if we have the eyes to see. A friend of a friend was taking a carol service in a hospital one Christmas time. And as they sang carols together, an old woman that he knew to see but had never heard speak because she was so deep in Alzheimer's stood up in her place and joined in with every word of Silent Night to the amazement of everybody who knew her. It was ordinary and it was magical at the same time. And reflecting on that experience, he wrote, I was like one of those men who travelled to the backwater of an unpromising place and recognised in an old woman's defiance of her illness with a beautiful song, the holiness of God's presence. They followed the star and it led them to ordinariness. But in the midst of ordinariness, God was incredibly present. So what star are you following this morning? I mean really following. Have you settled for lesser lights to live by? Or like the wise men, are you aware that there is still so much yet to know, yet to find, yet to experience? 
To become a Christian isn't so much the end of a journey, but the beginning of one, a journey where we do the patient work of following and finding the meaning of life that Jesus opens up to us. And that doesn't come all at once, but it's uncovered and deepened and learned again day by day, bit by bit, moment by moment. And as we follow the star of Christ, our life takes on a new direction. Our eyes begin to pick out new things until like the wise men, we're enabled to see ourselves, to see others, to see the world and to see God in wonderful, surprising, challenging and sometimes, frankly, frightening ways. And on that day-to-day -day journey, we can get surprised and overjoyed, we can also get discouraged and we can get lost. We find stunning signs of God's presence in everyday life and we can also make mistakes, feel alone and get depressed. Finding out who Jesus is isn't an anaesthetic against pain or an insurance policy against making mistakes, but it is real. And if we persist, Following his star, we find ourselves with the wise men drawn deeper and more wonderfully into the truth of God. We discover the meaning of who we are. But not only that, we discover the value that he places on our little lives. Amen. Mark's going to lead us now uh, in our prayers for others. <coughs> this morning's prayer for others includes a prayer response at the end of each prayer stanza, the words of which should be on behind God in your love. Hear our prayer. Let us pray. Light of peace in the name of Christ, who came as light for the world, we pray for the faithful who seek the light of true community on earth. God, in your love, hear our prayer. Light of justice in the name of Christ, born a Jew in an occupied country, we pray for all who suffer for reasons of gender, race, faith, or politics. God, in your love, hear our prayer. Light of hope in the name of Christ, who was born in a stable, we pray for those who are in need of shelter, food, meaningful work. God, in your love, hear our prayer. Light of compassion, in the name of Christ, for whom nowhere was safe. We pray for the fearful, the bereaved, and the sick, for all who are in pain and special need. God, in your love, hear our prayer. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.
close our service now in the words of our final hymn, which is Christ be our light.
the light and in the life of the child of Bethlehem. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Thank you.